Uh, my name is Pastor Matt. I'm the pastor of youth and young adults over at our Bartlett campus. Pleasure to be back here. Before I get into it, um, I need to apologize for something last week. I was reading this week in 1 Timothy, and I came across the verse, uh, do not speak on and on about genealogies and blah, 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 and things that give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of the faith in the gospel. And I was just challenged that I think I stated something last week. I, I overstated it. I was sure that Isaac allowed his dad to bind him up and he didn't fight him. And while I think that, that, that I just want to be clear, that's my opinion. And I was, as I was listening to my message, because we have to listen to our message to try to get better at preaching and, you know, just it's a, it's a personal development thing, which I hate because I am so critical. I just listened to that and I thought, you know, I think I overstated that. And so I just want to be clear that the Bible doesn't say that. It's just that's my thought of what happened. And so I was just listening to it and thought, eh, I'm convicted. I better come clean. Um, so anywho, we're going to get right on with the story of how Isaac uh, found a wife in Rebecca. Um, but more, actually more accurately, this is how Abraham sent his servant somewhere to find a wife for his son Isaac. So I call it Operation Engage, which reminds me to tell you about Operation Disengage. Okay, so when I was, uh, I think I was in grad school, my roommate came home one day. His name was Wes. You can look him up on Facebook and give him a hard time for this later. Wes Stevens. Okay, so you know. <laughs> he lives in Cedarville, Ohio. He, he, he knows I share this. Um, he came home, and he had been dating this, this girl for a long time, and it was, it, it was one January. He said, oh, souls, I think I just did something dumb. I was like, what'd you do, Wes? He goes, I asked Suze to marry me. I was like, I would usually say congratulations at this point, but you idiot, why'd you do that? And this started a six, actually, when did they break off the engagement? Seven-month operation I led with my friends and co-mentors called Operation Disengage. And it was because from the onset of their engagement, everyone closest, closest to him and closest to her knew they weren't right for one another. They were just settling for what was most comfortable. And so... I had Lauren, my wife, who was his friend. I had her asking him questions, and I had like all these people asking questions, and I had a series of threats whereby if he didn't do certain actions and talk to certain people, he would have to stand a certain way and let me do a certain something. And um, I mean, I just, I was just, I cared about him so much, and he knew it. It was just clear he was ignoring God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. I had to lead Operation Disengaged to save him from making one of the most horrible mistakes you can make, which is not marrying the right person or a right person. So thankfully, the story turns out, they broke it off like four weeks before the wedding. Uh, they hadn't even sent like announcements out. That's how they, they knew that they, oh, it's just so awful. Um, but I'm, I'm really thankful that this morning, the story turns out a lot differently. No one had to lead Operation Disengage. In fact, you, we, as we get into the story, we cheer for Isaac and Rebecca to, to meet, and we're, we're, we're happy when they do. Um, and so let's get into Genesis 24 here and find out how Isaac found or how a godly spouse was found for Isaac. Now, before I move on, I want to share two things. First and foremost is this. Um, your primary calling in life is not to be married. Your primary calling in life is to follow Jesus and build his kingdom. Okay? Isaac was very different. 
We know his primary calling was to be married because we know the promise. This is not a scripture passage about thou shalt be married. It does not say that. doesn't lead us to believe that. Um, and so if, um, if you're in a situation where you're like, oh, it's God's will for me to be married, you may be leading that personally. But in scripture, your primary calling is to follow Jesus and to build his kingdom. Secondly, um, I want to state that this sermon is for you. And by saying this sermon is for you, I'm saying this sermon is for everyone. If you're married and have been married to the same spouse for a long time, you're like, well, I'm not already married. I'm going to tune Matt out and check my Facebook. This sermon is for you because you, ha- you may have kids and you should be discipling people who aren't your kids. So use this message, use this truth of scripture to give you ammunition for how to lead the next generation. And this sermon is for you if you're singled. Singled. <laughs> God singled you. This sermon is for you if you're single. Use this to understand God's value in finding a godly spouse. And um, if, you're, if you're dating someone or engaged to someone, let me be clear, that's just a yellow light. All right? You're not bound to someone until you're married. So maybe this sermon is a, ooh, I better run. That's okay too. All right? So I just wanted to be clear on those two things. And so let's, let's turn to Genesis 24 and see what God's word says. Well, Isaac find, finding a wife. So some, some context of Genesis 24, um, you'll, you'll see it, it starts off with a, I think a really funny statement, Abraham was old. I'm thinking, man, he was old when God first came to him. Okay, but now Abraham is old, well advanced in years, and the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. Before I get to that, let's, let's go up there, verse 1. He was old, advanced his years. God blessed him. Let's review the promises God made to Abraham and said, I will give you a land, I will give you a nation, and I will give you a leader. And through amazing circumstances, God gave Abraham a son, Isaac. And if Isaac was going to be the conduit of God's promises, he had to be married. And so this passage of Scripture is about Isaac finding a wife. And now Isaac here is 40 years old and is single. And again, God's calling on your life is not to be married but to follow Jesus. If you're 40 and single, that could be okay. But it wasn't okay for Isaac because he had to find a wife. He had to have children to pass on the promises. And we have no idea why he's still single. All right, I think from, from this text and just from like knowing human nature, I think Isaac was a catch. Okay? We're going to find out later that as soon as, as soon as Rebecca saw him, she was like, who's that? Um, so I think he was handsome. Abraham, the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. The dude was filthy rich. He sent his servant with camels and gold and, and rings and things like that. The guy had servants and herds and blessings. And if you were a Canaanite girl, you'd be like, I'm a gold digger. So... You wanted to be with Isaac. Can, can, can I say that in church? Gold digger? Sure. I just did. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I, again, this is some speculation, but I just put myself in there. I'd say, okay, why was Isaac single? And what we learn is that Abraham's going to send his servant somewhere else. So I wonder if there were girls throwing themselves at him to be a part of this heritage and to be a part of this family, or if, if he was searching and he just found no one because he wasn't in the right place to find a godly wife. I just don't know, but I just do know that he's single and it's a problem for the promises of God. 
And so Genesis 24 keeps going, and he says, put your hand under my thigh. Um, he's playing on a phone, so cover ears. Uh, to be honest, this is a euphemism for something else. This is a euphemism for the genitalia. So nowadays, when we make a deal, we shake hands, all right? I'm very glad we don't make deals like they did here, because what Abraham is telling his servant, that the mission I'm going to give you is so important, put your hand under my thigh, and if you don't do what's in this mission, you're toast. I think we know what he's saying. So Abraham thinks that this mission is so important that it's his servant's head if he doesn't. Um, And again, I just, I'll shake your hand after the message. We're not going to make any deals for that. All right? So he goes on to say, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. What Abraham's doing here is he's trying to protect his son from two traps that single young men and single young women, or single middle-aged, whatever, just any single man and any single woman can do. Trap number one is marrying someone from a different faith system. We see it happen over and over again, and the result is hardly ever good. Um, And I think it usually happens for one of two reasons. Reason number one is we just get desperate. We say, I'm desperate, so I'm going to find anyone who would be willing And reason number two is we can't control our desires. We say, God's created me to be a sexual being and I got to express that. And I know God's word said this, so I just got to get married. Both are traps and both could very well cause us to go into that trap of finding someone from a different faith system. This has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has everything to do with our theology and our values. That's why I taught our, our people here. Um, we did our little meeting, and I don't know if you know, but before every service, we do a meeting, and we talk about the message, and then we put our hands together, and they say, okay, pastor, what's one word from your sermon that you want to, like, hurrah about? And I said, Babfeck. I say, what? That's not a word. It's an acronym that I made up when I was in college, because I was looking for a single girl, you know, and Babfeck, B-A-B-F-E-C, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for a born-again, baptized, fundamental, evangelical Christian. She had to be all that. Now, the funny thing is, I'll still mark this, what I kind of had in my mind, you guys are going to think I'm the most horrible person in the world, Um, I was looking for a dumb orphan as well. I thought, you know, I'm not a guy that like, I'm not an interactional guy very much. I don't like words. I usually don't like to talk. I just like to sit and do and whatever. I was like, man, if she could just not speak. Whoa. And then if she were an orphan, I wouldn't have to deal with my in-laws. You're looking at me like, you are horrible. Oh, it, it is. It's awful. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I, I wasn't truly looking for that. It was, it was more of a joke in my head. But you know the really funny thing? Um, I married the most awesome woman possible. Um, She is a woman of many words, and thank the Lord that she is. And she has really godly parents who live with me, right? Like, how great is that God? Like, Matt, you joke. I'll show you, you know? It's it's awesome. But you know what? I got sidetracked along the way. 
I was looking for this Babfec. I had all this list, and, and I kind of just got like, mm, she's pretty, and she's a Christian, and okay. Um, but after I graduated college, I had these two mentors, Mark and Dr. Roby, and Doc had, had since passed on, but um, they, we all took this trip out to Colorado, this camping trip, hiking trip. I was like, oh, it's going to be great. Little did I know, it was their secret mission to get me to break up with my girlfriend. Because they, they saw what I couldn't see in myself. They saw what Wes couldn't see in himself. They saw, they said, hey, Matt, your primary calling is to follow Jesus and build his kingdom. And whoever you're dating, so whoever you could marry should amplify this. And you should be able to be a team in this. And they saw it and they said, she ain't it, buddy. Thank the Lord that I listened because God preserved me and preserved Lauren and we were able to meet. And that's, if you want to know the story, I'll tell it after the sermon, whatever. But um, praise the Lord that I listened. And so why no Canaanite? Um, well, to answer that, we have to compare and contrast um, Canaan versus Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, which is where he sent his, um, his servant. So Mesopotamia was the birthplace of culture, the birthplace of humanity. It had arts, it had food, it had everything you could ever want. It had any religion, any faith system. It just, it just had everything. So picture Mesopotamia, Vegas, all right? Canaan, however, was dark. It was a place of tribal warfare. It was undeveloped, vile and dark gods and, and goddesses. Um, I can say this because I actually have roots here kind of like deliverance in Kentucky, you know, like just weird stuff in Canaan. And my mom was born in the hollers of Kentucky and Appalachia. So that might explain a few more things about me. Um, but Abraham knew he can't find a wife from there. And this leads me to the next point is that Abraham was trying to protect his son from one other trap. And it's this trap that's this. Isaac must never compromise his character while he waits. So while waiting for a spouse, he could not go to Mesopotamia. Look at the text, verses 6 through 8. Could I have that up there? Click, click. There we go. It's a a Mac, guys. I don't We need PC. All right. So Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land, and he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to go to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. Notice he repeats it twice. You must not take my son back to Mesopotamia. Because Isaac, any young man, is not strong enough to go and face head-on the lures of some place like that and come back unscathed. What happens in Vegas, Mesopotamia, scars your heart for life and your soul for eternity. And it's so sad that we do not learn this until after the fact. And guys, the world knows this. I, as, as, as I was getting ready for this sermon, all like day of it, um, since I, you know, short notice and all. Um, This song kept coming to my head, and it's by a very secular artist called Verve Pipe. And I just want to read you these lyrics. 
When I was young, I wish I knew everything. She a punk who rarely ever took advice. Now I'm guilt-stricken, sobbing with my head on the floor, stop a baby's breath in a shoe full of rice. I can't be held responsible. She was touching her face. I won't be held responsible. She fell in love in the first place. For the life of me, I cannot remember what made us think that we were wise and we would never compromise. For the life of me, I cannot believe we'd ever die for these sins. We were merely freshmen. And the artist of this song admitted that this song is about how he and a college girlfriend, they became pregnant and they had an abortion. And the guilt that he feels to write this song and to look back and say, in all these actions, I just never knew the weight that regret can put on a soul. And as any good dad does, Abraham is just saying, don't take my son back there. Regret is the priciest emotion you could ever have. And so we move on. And what's, what's neat about this passage, and I want to point you towards this, is that we've spent a long time um, making fun, not making fun of Abraham, but pointing out his faithlessness until he finally gets it right. And now we're on this, this track where Abraham is getting it right over and over and over again. He names his son Isaac, which means laughter, which is, had to be hard to obey. He circumcised him on the eighth day. Now he's finding a godly spouse for him. And look what it says. He says, he will send his angel before you. Abraham's like, I know this is going to be a success. Because God comes through with his promises every single time that he gives them. Abraham saw it time and time again. An angel of the Lord shows up, which is Jesus himself. And he gives Abraham a promise, and it comes to pass. And he gives Abraham a promise, and it comes to pass. And he says, sacrifice your son. And the angel of the Lord shows up and, and gives him that ram instead of his son. And so he's just so confident in this. And I just wanted to point out that Abraham is ending really, really well, and he's ending really, really strong. And so the servant put his hand under Abraham's thigh, and he swore to his master concerning this matter. Now we can get into the actual sermon of finding a godly wife. So a couple things, and this is maybe the short part here, just a few points on finding a godly wife. And if you're a lady out there, we could easily swap this. Finding a godly husband. The, the, the points, they, they don't matter gender necessarily, but within our text, it's finding a godly wife. So those are the, that's the nomenclature that, that I'll use. So point one, godly women are found in godly places. Look at verse 10. The servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. By the way, remember the number 10, okay? Taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he rose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Now, Nahor is where Abraham's family is from. It's a place of similar values. He knows them and can trust him. So don't hear that I said, hey, Mesopotamia, that's, that's Vegas. They didn't go to like the heart of the sin city. They went to where Abraham knows and trusts, but it's in this, this region. And so um, it's kind of like Nahor is Christian mingle, and then Mesopotamia is like Tinder. So um, he went to Nahor, maybe a place to trust, okay? Um, Also notice, so let's move on. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of the water at the time of evening, the time when, I'll read it down here, the time when the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. So she's exactly where she should have been you would expect a young woman to be right at this place at this time. She's right where she should be. 
She's in a godly place because it's where she should be. She's not in the city making money in some other way. She's not at home being idle. We'll get there. But they're found in godly places. And then number two, they're found in godly places doing faithful things. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of men in the city are coming out to draw their water. I think, why, why drawing water? Why this activity? Well, it's kind of, I would think of it in, in, in contrast to maybe let's think of those Canaanites who were looking at Abraham's wealth and going, Isaac's his only heir. Hmm. Get with Isaac. I never have to work a day in my life. But this woman or these women that could be there, they are drawing water. And young men, young women, Older couples, advise anyone who is looking for a godly spouse, find someone who's willing to work. All right? Why? Because marriage is work, life is work, parenting is work. If someone is not willing to work, they are by no means the right person for you. Um, and you, you want a faithful, hardworking, hardworking man or woman that will work and fight for his family or her faith, etc. Gals, if your boyfriend or this guy you kind of like think is cute, if he can't keep a job, if he's not willing to lift a finger at home, if you can't peel him off his parents' couch playing Xbox, run away. All right, I'm staring over there at my man Alberto. And uh, I don't know if you guys know, I, I take down trees every now and then, and I'm at his house taking down this big pine tree and I'm working, and I, I, you know, I had, had it covered, I like to think, but he was working all morning, all afternoon, comes home, doesn't even like go in the house, just goes, oh, let me help, and he's piling these big pine branches on, on my trailer, kind of thinking, we're never going to fit this, and I'm thinking, oh, we're going to fit it, you know, um, but he just, he jumped in for his family and, he, and, and his house right away. What an example of godly work, and guys... If, you're, if your girlfriend or that girl you think is like really something special, if she's not working, if she's not helping, if she doesn't run to serve, I say run away from her. The number of times I hear parents lamenting that they can't get their, their daughter or son to, to, to help out, and I'm like, oh. red flags are not party flavors, party favors. Red flags are meant to get you to run away. And so... Um, just to plug, I, I, I think if we apply this to today, I think a godly man or a godly woman could be fine faithfully at church, faithfully serving, faithfully doing something for the Lord's good and for the good of other people. And you find something doing that, it's a pretty good indication. So Abraham's servant continues to pray. He says, let the young woman whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this shall I know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. He was just so confident to pray. And look at verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, which is Abraham's brother, came out with a water jar on her shoulder. This is neat here. 
Yahweh God brought Rebecca right here, and she's from Abraham's kin. Now pause. Are you allowed nowadays to marry your kin? No, but we can't read this with 21st century values in our head. This was way before the law. This was way before God ever stepped in and said, hey, that's not a good idea. We could get into genetics. This was way before there's probably anything that would be wrong with it. To us, it's creepy because this is all we know. Like, you cousins, only in Kentucky, you know. No, 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 no. This is not creepy. This is something that was to be expected. This is something that was a wise move on Abraham's part. She was from his kin. He could trust their values. And last week we talked about the meaning of names. Rebecca's name means noose. And when applied to a human, when, when, when applied to a female, it's like her inner and outer beauty was so captivating that it like held you. And this guy is about to just like gawk at her. He gazes at, 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 at what she's doing. And look at what she's doing. Let's move on. They're doing faithful things. Um, I, wanna, I actually want to go for, forward a little bit. This is, this is going to be odd. Sorry about that. Um, the young woman was very attractive in appearance, whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled up her jar and came up. And I'm going to read a little bit ahead here. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she, verse 19, when she, was, when she was finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they had finished drinking. Now, how many camels did he bring with him? Ten. Um, camels can hold a lot of water. Okay, a gallon of water weighs eight pounds, all right? Mental calculators in your head right now, okay? She has ten, he has 10 camels. Camel can hold 25 gallons of water, and a gallon weighs eight pounds. So for every camel, she could take up to 25 gallons of water to give that camel to drink, carry the one that's 200 pounds per camel, so this woman is drawing out up to 2,000 pounds of water from a well. And so this guy, it says, he gazed at her. Her strength and her beauty were just like, are you kidding? And, and I, I have to think he's, he's also gazing because this is the very answer to God's promise that he'd been praying about, that he journeyed so long for. He's just gazing like, Lord, how good you are. But notice what it said about her. If we go back one, it said, the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled up her jar and came up. I want to speak very candidly for a second about this notion of sexual purity. How a young man or woman handles their sexuality is a powerful indicator of one crucial fact. Is God not just my Savior, but my Lord? Will I obey him in all aspects, being willing to put apart, to set aside my desires for a time to obey him? Nothing else is as powerful as an indicator of that because culturally speaking, sexual purity is out. You're dumb if you do. You're, you're, you're dumb if you wait. You're, you're dumb if you don't move in. It's, it, it's just out. But the word of God is immovable and infallible in this matter. And it seems like, this is, this is kind of to you, youth, or 
wherever parents, you can use this, mentors, you can use this. It seems like everyone knows it except the people who are in it. Even the world knows it. I challenge you to find a study that doesn't say the most sexually satisfied people on this planet is a husband or a wife of one husband and wife. They have the best sex. They have sex most often. It's, that's, stats don't lie. But it seems like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't know. I want this and I want it now. You're like, oh, you don't know what you're giving up. But also in saying that, I'm, I'm almost sure just by stats that no one in here is perfect. And especially if you're in this generation that I'm talking about, you probably have a, probably, just saying it's probable based on statistics, not because of anything I know about you. I, I hope you all prove me wrong. Um, your sexual past is not pure. And what God cares about and what any godly man or woman should care about is your current. Have you repented? Have you changed? Are you actively following God? And is it your heart's desire to be pure from this moment on? God's grace is great enough to cover any sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west. What should be stated is that where are you in your purity right now? And it's funny because whenever I meet a, um, in my youth group, I'm often meeting boyfriends and girlfriends, and um, I'm in their business. I'm giving them a hard time, these poor kids. Um, but whenever I meet someone, it's like, oh, you're interested in uh, Braden, are you? Guy like, <laughs> Gail's shaking her head. You know these three questions. I ask three questions the very first time I meet anyone that I think could be a significant other of someone that is in the soul's wing of protection. And the questions expose faith, ex- expose culture, and it, expose, it exposes biblical lordship. I say, hello. I make my voice deep, and I don't exhale for a while. <laughs> How are you? You give them one of those, like, butch souls handshakes, you know. So, have you trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior and renounced everything except him for your salvation? Uh-huh. Great. Is abortion murder and for any reason wrong? <gasps> uh, that one's fun. Uh-huh. I want to know where they are in culture. Final question. Is abstinence before marriage God's will for your sexual life? And that's how you will be conducting yourself with this person. And I squeeze a little harder at that point. Girls too. I'm like, you better know. Oh, that's great to meet you. We're friends now. And I looked, oh man, I'm so protective of this because our our future, our next generation, our faith is at stake in this matter. And so, oh, but remember, your primary calling in life is not to be married, but to follow Jesus and build his kingdom. You can't have the motivation to be pure just for your future, just for this. You have to have the motivation to be pure because God demands it and he wants it and he knows it's what's best for you. You may or may not be married, but you will stand before the Lord. And so that primary motivation needs to be, God, it's because you said it, you want it, because you know what's best for me. And so therefore I will obey. Finally, so what? I want to get into the so what's. I've gone a little long. Um, Well, First, I should say, okay, you talked a lot about gals 
What about guys? Again, these could be flip-flopped. You say, guys, godly men are found in godly places doing godly things, obeying God with a servant heart. That is absolutely true. And the text does show that Isaac is in the land of promise working, and when Rebekah first meets Isaac, he's praying in the field. And so if we see the text here, oh, maybe I don't see the text. I'm sorry. It's all good. Rebecca goes back. Rebecca lifts up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man? <laughs> Walking in the field to meet us. The servant says, It is my master. So she took the veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. Then Isaac brought her to the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And he, and this word for love is the ahava love. It's the soul-knitting, emotional connection, friends for life love. It just ends really, really beautiful with this all worked out. And now Isaac can move on, passing on the promises of, of, of God. So what? There's six of them. I could have 17. Narrowed it down to six. Number one, no decision will impact your ability to be a conduit of the promises of God like the person you marry. The saying goes, bad company corrupts. I'd say idle company slows. Opposite company can ruin. So, if you're engaged, dating the wrong person, get out. If someone you know is engaged dating the wrong person, step in. You are doing the most loving thing you could possibly do. Number two, marriage is communal despite, despite the fact that everyone says that it's my life, but out. My choices only affect me. Nothing done. Your choices affect everyone. When you get married, you bring two families together. You bring the craziness. I probably should have warned Lauren about my crazy family. You bring the craziness of families together. You are, you are basically setting up the mentor of your children. You ask yourself, do I want my daughter to be given the God concept from this man? Vice versa. Put it around. Marriage infects entire families. So what, number three, not all parents should be able to speak into marriage equally. Uh, my best friend's dad, when he found out I was, getting engaged with Lauren, with, I was getting engaged to Lauren, he goes, huh, you haven't even lived with her yet. Well, I think you should do that. I said, no, I think I should do that. I'm pretty sure that's bad advice. He goes, well, how are you going to know? We, we had this little conversation, and at the end, I had given him enough reason to be like, okay, just stop. Um, but he said, oh, I was just testing you anyways. <laughs> I was like, no, you weren't. <laughs> so, or I had advice from another professor at, at Cedarville. He said this, a home is not a man's castle, but his Calgary. How opposite are those two just little nuggets of advice? Well, how are you going to know if you don't live with her for a little bit? Marriage is about dying to yourself and about serving your wife and serving your family. Just not all parents should be able to speak into prospective marriages equally, but point four, someone of great spiritual maturity must be speaking directly into your life. 
And I say this, no married couple in here got it 100% right through dating, engagement, or is getting it 100% right through marriage. But let me tell you this, we speak through experience, and we speak through failure, and we speak through the pain of regret, and we want to save you from that. But we like our secrets. By the way, there's a test to see if your sin in your life is secret. Um, Question number one, does anyone know about it? No, then it's secret. Question number two, does someone only know a little bit about it? Yes, then it's secret. Like, be open and bear to someone that you trust. And I tell you, I've done a lot of dumb, stupid, crazy things. And when I hear other people doing, like younger people telling me, oh, I did this dumb, stupid, crazy thing, I do not have one ounce of judgment for that person. In fact, I respect them more because they were godly enough to admit it and godly enough to open it up and willing to walk through the process of change and repentance. So someone must be speaking into your life. So what, number five? Don't believe the lies. You might say, oh, I don't want my parents' marriage. Like, like God's grace isn't powerful enough to change the, the trajectory of your faith family. It can start with you. That's a lie. Lie number two, you just don't understand us. You know, if you're trying to like disengage someone or break them off or just say, hey, this is not a bad idea. It's like, yeah, we do understand you. And so does everyone else. It's clear to everyone but you. This lie, it's my life. No, it's not. You were bought with a price and that price was the precious precious blood of God. So it's his life and he has authority to tell you what to do. The other lie, non-Christians love to say this to Christians. You have no obligation to your parents or to your spiritual mentors. Like, that's, I don't even need to go there. It's just a lie. And finally, number six, God orchestrates singleness and great marriages in crazy ways. Trust him. I'm not against online dating, blind dates, setups, whatever, whatever, whatever. But what I do know is we do not need to go into this as a single person or advise this as a married person. We do not need to go into this from two things. We do not need to go into it from desperation or from uncontrolled desire because God can provide. And if you are a Christian, he has given you the Holy Spirit and one of the fruits of those spirit is self-control. And so we have more than enough power, more than enough ammunition to lead this life and to do this in a faithful way. And just to close, I, I believe nothing reveals our heart more than how we go about this marriage and this sexuality thing. Um, and I don't know if God is calling you to marriage or to singleness or to eventual marriage. I, don't know. I do know that if you are married, he's definitely calling you to stay married and to be an awesome husband and an awesome wife and to love your husband, love your wife as the Christ love the church and vice versa. That's a very clear calling. If you're single, he's calling you to obedience and purity from a faithful heart. And it's a high calling, but I just want to end that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. That's an awesome place to be as a son or daughter, knowing that you have everything you need and you can rest in God's faithfulness. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to praise you that um, in, in this narrative thousands of years ago, you came through and you fulfilled your promise. And therefore, as Isaac passes his faith 
and your promises to Jacob and Jacob to Judah and so on, all the way to Jesus, that we have this heritage of faith and your people through whom you brought our Savior and then you grafted us in and Lord, you, you brought us into your fold and you call us sons and daughters of God. And Lord, I just pray for us in this church on this matter. Nothing is more important um, in our our walks and how we conduct ourselves and whom we choose to marry or whom we choose to date or how we advise our next generation on this. So God, I pray that we would do all this according to your word, according to your heart, and God, by the power of your spirit, because we are unable to do it ourselves. And so Lord, we we look forward to just how you bless this church and bless the passing on of, of legacies through godly marriages and through godly relationships that spur one another on towards love and good works. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.